Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. In this episode, I speak with Nicole Rodden, who is one of the co-founders of the organisation Life Lessons. We discuss topics such as peer-on-peer abuse and how to create a positive peer culture within a school. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. I'm Georgia Latif, I am the content manager at the Safeguarding Company and I'm really excited today because I'm joined by Nicole Rodden who is one of the co-founders of Life Lessons. Welcome Nicole. Hi, thanks, lovely to be here. Yeah, great to have you with us. I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about what Life Lessons does and how the company was created because you guys are quite new, aren't you? Yes, we are quite new. Um, So we were founded a couple of years ago and Life Lessons works with schools to create open and empathetic school cultures. And so we do that by supporting teachers to deliver an evidence-based relationship, sex and health education. And it's all around fostering positive peer relations between pupils. Um, And we do that through kind of bringing pupil voice into the classroom and through our kind of video material we um, film young people from different backgrounds sexualities genders ethnicities talking about their experiences and then through that give teachers the tools to have those conversations Um, and yeah it's been a really interesting time starting out um we're we're a new quite innovative um solution and I think it's it's a really great opportunity at the moment when these topics are at the forefront of lots of teachers' minds and lots of of pupils' minds as well. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there's been a really big shift in recent years from sex and education. I remember when I was in school, it was very much, don't get an STI or an STD, don't get pregnant. These are what all the parts of your anatomy are called. Yeah, that was it. Um, I was glad to hear my sister, who's a bit younger than me, when she went through sex education, they talked about consent and they talked about um, same sex, sex basically. So it was less traditional and a bit more open. Um, why do you think it's important the work you guys are doing in educating teachers on how to have these conversations with their students? Yeah, so you're exactly right. And every all the people we talk to when we say, how was your sex education at school? Say it was very negative, very focused on just don't do this, don't get pregnant, don't. Um, and and that things are changing now because the research shows that actually if we're teaching about, about consent, about relationships, it's going to help young people, give them, equip them with the skills and the knowledge to be able to have healthy relationships and be have more consensual, intimate sexual experiences. Um, and and that it actually helps young people wait longer before having sex. Okay. Um, and so it's really important to equip our teachers to be able to have these conversations because often you know, some parents are talking about these topics with their with their children. Um, but actually, young people say to us and the researchers that they desperately want to be talking about this topic. They desperately want to be having these conversations to work out their opinions, but they want it to, 
they want to be having these conversations with teachers because it's it's a boundaried conversation. Yeah. It's trustworthy. So it's not just with their friends where it's potentially hearsay thing, you know, lots yeah. of some misinformation. And but it's a safe space where they can share things or discuss things in a way that's um that feels more comfortable. I guess as well, no one wants to talk about sex with their parents. <laughs> like no child wants to do that. And I guess with teachers, they teach so much about life they should also be talking about this. It's a really important part of growing up, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's skills-based, you know. It's these skills that we need. It's not just a, a given that you're going to be successful in having healthy relationships. It's something that needs to be nurtured and um, taught, you know, how to do that and modeled that openness and these skills of, critical thinking you know to be able to ask yourself like am I in a relationship that makes me feel good or am I in a friendship group that wants the best for me and it's those skills of reflection like critical thinking self-compassion like those things and building of empathy and respect for others and actually what we are seeing is that since COVID and since the lockdown a lot of young people are really struggling with their relationships and they're struggling to show that level of empathy and respect to their peers and to their teachers. And so, and actually struggling to be kind to one another because they've they've missed out essentially on, on a couple of years of developing those skills and nurturing yeah. those skills. So it's, it is so important that, you know, those those skills are essential for life. When you leave school and you're going to be in workplaces, yeah. you know, your relationships with your colleagues or um, you know, your family relationships. And um, it's so important that we do teach those skills in school. Definitely. We were talking about consent just a moment ago. At what age do you think we should be educating children about consent? So I think it's interesting. The, the word consent often leads us to a definition of quite like the legal side of consent and that it's specifically to do with sex like it's not really is it it's not really like you can have consent about a broad you know a broad range of things um you know it's about personal boundaries really it's about respect um and and knowing what those boundaries are and and your own privacy and your own right to um to your body or your things and so consent can be taught from a really, really young age, just in a different way. Yeah. You know, for example, like you wouldn't, if my phone was on the table, like you wouldn't just take it and have a look through it. Um, and so those things you can be teaching from a young age or even, you know, this is his toy and he can choose to share it. Um, and modeling that kind of consent at a really young age it's kind of normalizing it isn't it exactly yeah yeah. and I think it's important that we do teach it you know the idea that your body is your body and it's your right to you know not let other people touch it if you don't want and it's up to you to decide that and giving young people the choice to do that because safeguarding for you know in a child in an adult with adults yes is really important for us to be teaching um, children about. Of course. Um, And so I think it does need to be happening at a younger age. And actually, when we talk to our young people, 
who are often learning about consent in year 10 say yeah they all say we should be learning about it in year eight. Oh, definitely i think like by year 10 11 it's like it should have happened earlier shouldn't it like i've been seeing a lot of conversations about this around children like you said being able to say no when people touch them and i think con- children are conditioned from really young ages to like go give grandma a kiss go sit on santa's lap go give your uncle a hug share your toys because you have to and it kind of teaches you at a really young age you're conditioned to not have boundaries so it's interesting i feel like what you're saying it, it's a culture shift isn't it exactly yeah and i think you know people when they leave school and they're in relationships and it's only then that we're talking about boundaries or with family it's only when you get a bit older that people actually are having these conversations about I need to put these boundaries in place and I've not been taught how to do that I don't know how to do that um and I think that's such an important skill to be to be teaching that actually you don't need to give your auntie a kiss if you really if you don't want to um and that's okay um and and empower young people to make those choices. And I think that's a really healthy way to be. That's great. I I think as well, it just comes to mind, um, one of my friends doesn't really like to be hugged, but she said the lockdown's actually been great because people having to socially distance, she's having the excuse not to hug people. And now she can just keep saying to people like, well, you know, I actually don't want to be touched. I don't want to be hugged. And it's made her a bit braver to have those conversations because it was normalised, this idea of, like, check with someone before you shake their hand, <laughs> check with someone before you give them a hug, make sure they're going to be comfortable with that. So interesting that yeah. it took a pandemic <laughs> to bring that up. I know, that is true. And now we do have more of a respect, maybe, for somebody's... For people's spaces. For people's yeah. spaces, yeah. I was actually... Um, I was talking to a woman who is blind and she has a guide dog, and she was saying that lots of people come up to her and just instantly stroke her dog. Yeah. You know, without asking, without saying, can, you know, and, and that dog is her sight. Yeah. Her eyes. And it's so pervasive. It's so invasive. And what might be seen as a, um, you know, the friendly, oh, it's a, it's a dog that that you want to touch, but actually consent is everything. It is about thinking about people's boundaries and, yeah. and and having that level of respect like your friend who doesn't want to be hugged that's fine that's okay that's what yeah. she wants and so it is important for us to be aware of other people's spaces and be respectful about that yeah and I guess also just the consideration of you might be comfortable with that but someone else might not so yeah I think you're right they are important skills we need to be teaching children from a very young age um, I wanted to talk to you about some of the videos that Life Lessons produces in which you have students talking to each other about some of these issues. Why do you think it's important for their voices to be heard in these discussions? Our young people are amazing. They're, whenever we do filming, I'm always so struck by how articulate and insightful and reflective and young people often find or or what the research shows is that if relationship sex health education isn't directly relatable to young people they're not going to relate to it and engage with it and Mm. actually utilize that learning in particular situations so 
you know, you could have the best RSE in the world um, that's filled with facts and knowledge, but if none of, if they're not, if the young people aren't then relating that back to their own lives and seeing that connection, they're not going to utilize though that learning in a party situation or yeah. in um, with their friends. And so it's really important if we want to have an impact, we want to see, you know, a change and a shift, we need to be getting real stories and real experiences of what young people today are going through. So they can relate to it. Yeah, exactly. And we, there's some topics and some things that come up in the videos that just weren't applicable when I was at school. Um, You know, we're in such a digital age where young people are living out so much of their relationships, like we all are, online. Yeah, social media. On social media. And, you know, there was our young people talking about how being left on pending on Snapchat is just awful because you don't know where you stand, you're not accepted, you're not rejected. You're, And these things do play into young people's mental health. And there's little things like that that you know, the benefits of having online relationships versus not having versus in person. And yeah. and it it's important that we bring those voices and those experiences um, of young people, but also that they're from different backgrounds. It's not just... It's diversity as well, isn't it? Yes. And other young people will connect to different things depending on... Like one of our young people was saying they connected to her because of her fashion sense yeah. or her accent or his... Um, experience of um, of coming out or of you know these things that young people they desperately want to hear real life situations and actually a lot of the time young people say they know the law on consent they can tell you the law on consent but what they actually want to know is all those situations and and areas where it's not so black and white you know how do I deal in that how do I bring up the topic of contraception like I know all the types of contraception but how do you actually bring up the conversation when you're in that moment like yeah how do you not spoil the mood (laughs) exactly exactly and they're they're these things that our young people are questioning and are wondering about and and actually just they just really want to hear from young people who have had experiences have reflected on them have learned from it um whether that's about friendships about relationships about family um, about their own mental health and it just ties in and I think it's it's helpful for young people to then be able to talk about it through someone else's experience of course yeah once again it's that relatability isn't it and it's less personal you know yeah. they can talk about they don't have to talk about their own experiences they're talking through someone else yes about what they connect to so do you think creating this positive peer culture within schools will hopefully help us move towards preventing more peer-on-peer abuse? Yes, because first of all, if we think about the causes of where actually peer-on-peer abuse comes from, a lot of the time it's because it's so normalised. Exactly, yeah. You know, we're the recent Ofsted report and everyone's invited and lots of young people, they aren't aware because we just live in a society where it is so normalized yeah. um, that, that this anything's wrong. Of so course. why would a young person report anything or share something or um, even see it as a bad thing because it's so normalized? And so 
what we need to do is first of all to raise awareness about what is peer-on-peer abuse and what is sexual yeah. harassment and what are those where is that that line and then and make that really clear and then focus on developing empathy and respect between young people because it is really important for teachers to say don't do this or you know this is wrong and this is inappropriate that's really important for for everyone to be hearing that and for everyone to be saying the same message but if a friend calls you out or if it's so not socially acceptable to be abusive or rude or offensive that's a lot more powerful having your peers hold you to account of course yeah than it is an adult or a, te- or a teacher and and so by by developing more sort of understanding like boys understanding what is actually going on for girls and girls understanding what's going on for boys like vice versa and building that understanding will help to shift this culture of of peer on peer abuse that actually it's not acceptable and I don't want to be doing that. I'm, that's not the person that I want to be. So just before when you spoke about girls understanding what boys are going through and vice versa, I remember when sexual education happened for me when I was, I think we first heard about it like 13, 14, and they took all the boys out of the room to talk like with the girls alone and the boys would talk about things alone. And it just makes you wonder, oh, that's weird. Why can't the boys listen? What are they talking about? So do you reckon we should just, everyone should just be learning the same things? We should all find out about what the other gender goes through. It's a really interesting one. This comes up a lot with the schools that we talk with. Um, you know, um, our advice to schools, because the research is quite is quite split, I think there's, what we say to our schools is that everyone should be learning the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, we did have this period of time where, girls learned about periods and boys yes. learned about wet dreams and that was the <laughs> distinction yeah and it wasn't shared you know boys need to also learn about periods and yeah. girls need to learn about wet dreams like it's it's important that we share it because there's so much shame like a lot of girls find so much shame around your period and something that's so natural yeah, yeah. something that's just not big taboo subject yes. for no reason really yeah for no reason and and actually educating just gets rid of some of those myths and it just really helps to have a conversation. And and young people talk, like they're going to talk in the playground exactly. about, what did you learn? Well, what did you learn? <laughs> oh, we didn't learn about that. And and it just builds up these stereotypes that just aren't there because, you know, and these stigmas that we need to, to change. But I, so I would say that they need to be learning the same thing. Yeah. But there is a there is a space for girls and for boys to talk separately with other young people that are going through something similar to them. That is a safe space where they, you know, some of our young people do say, I can, I feel a bit more open to ask certain questions around yeah. just girls or around just boys, which which is fair. And I think there does need to be spaces or teachers that they can go to, to have to ask those questions and to, um, you know, if they do, if they don't feel comfortable asking it in a a room full of um, boys and girls. And so sometimes we, so lots of our um, form time activities are all around discussion. And for, for that, we say mix up the groups 
And then for some of the discussions, have it all girls and all boys. And so they're talking with their peers about a particular topic and they're talking just with girls or just with boys, but then they're sharing back as a class. Yeah. Do you think it's important as well with mixing boys and girls? Because we've talked about the two genders, but we've not talked about people who maybe don't identify as either. So I guess by doing it all together, you're not excluding that really important group and marginalising them. Exactly. And that is so key. You know, if you are splitting anything with gender, where do your non-binary students go? Where you're really thinking about being inclusive. And, And that is why... You know, focusing on making sure that everyone does feel comfortable um, and, and finding other opportunities to provide those safe spaces for people yeah. um, after the lesson or um, in break time or something like that, that, that other young people, rather than splitting everyone by gender and, and not not fe- not being inclusive for all, yeah. all of our young people. We run the risk now. We're in an age where not all women menstruate. And not all those who identify as women will menstruate. So I think it's important, like you said, that it's inclusive and everyone feels really safe in that space. Yeah. Moving on to teachers, how would you encourage teachers to not feel uncomfortable about some of these topics? Because we are moving away from the textbook, this is how everything works. And I know that students want to have discussions about things like masturbation and pleasure during sex. And... Even saying it on the podcast feels a bit weird, to be honest. This is my workplace. But how do we normalize these conversations so there isn't this awkwardness? Because it is things that children and students do need to talk about. Yeah, and I I think it's, it is an awkward topic. Like, we live in a society um, and in a culture where we don't talk about these things a yeah. lot. We don't talk about sex and relationships that openly. And so we're not used to doing it. And it does feel really uncomfortable and, and really awkward. And I think for so many teachers, like if you're if you're a maths teacher or a geography teacher and you've never spoken about these topics before, why you know, just thinking that you can go into a class and deliver these topics is really tricky, really, really challenging. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a skill that we practice. And the more that we do it, the less it feels so uncomfortable. Yeah, and it, it normalizes it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it just becomes a conversation that we talk about, which does happen in other countries where they are a bit more, maybe a bit more open or um, that they can talk about it a little with a little bit more openness. So I think it is something that we need to practice um, and, and it gets easier. But I would say that there are a few key things that, that schools need to do in order to help teachers feel confident because we can't assume that all of our teachers are just going to walk waltz into a, a relationships class and feel comfortable exactly um and i think one of the important things is that we have we use distancing tools so that the teacher doesn't feel like because what one thing that comes up a lot is that teachers feel like they need to bring in their own personal experiences or they're going to have to bring in something of of themselves and be asked personal questions and um and actually that's through using the videos we find that teachers can use it as a distancing tool so it's you know what what do you think of Liam's experience what do you think of this other young person's experience it's not anything to do with me and me as a teacher or you know because that's not appropriate and again we're like modeling those boundaries but actually it's, well, what do we think of these young people's um, experiences of this and being able to talk about it openly, but through their 
through that lens. Um, and and also some reassurance for teachers that they don't need to know everything. Like we, yeah. we don't need to know <laughs> everything um, and that's okay. And it's okay to say, which feels really strange as a teacher because you're, you're looked at as, as the expert, but actually with this kind of topic that's constantly changing and evolving and um, we can be a bit more exploratory with yeah. our young people and bring in their opinions and their experiences and, and, and feel that it's okay to say, do you know what? That's a really good question. Um, I don't want to give you an, I, I've got an answer, but I want to go away and have a think about it and come back to you yeah. um, because that's a really, th- thank you for the question. And that's okay to do when it comes to this kind of subject. Perfect. I think we've been talking a lot about this kind of a situation in a planned relationship class. What advice would you give teachers who just have a random student approach them about something? Like, would you say, like, talk to the person who knows most about the relationship and the sex education within the school? Or is it okay for teachers to just give answers based on what they personally think? I think it depends on the teacher and how confident they're feeling in that particular situation. Um, Often young people are just asking out of curiosity. Mm. And so asking open questions um, about that young person, about, you know, why they want to know something or what what led them to to that, I think is really helpful because it is, it continues that conversation um, and it doesn't shut it down. I think it's important that we're not asking anything in a blaming or shaming way, but actually in in an open way. And then I think if the teacher feels comfortable answering for themselves and, you know, but building on their own personal, um, if they feel comfortable, I think is the main thing. Yeah. But, and then, and then once that's happened, you know, sending them to or directing them to some another member of staff is also okay. But I think it is important that we, you know, the the young person will decide who they want to tell a particular safeguarding issue to. And they yeah. might then not tell another member of staff. They might not feel comfortable telling someone else. Yeah. So I do think it's important for all teachers to be more upskilled in having these conversations so that they are prepared and ready if a pupil decides that they are that teacher that they feel most comfortable with and they trust the most, rather than, um, you know, just kind of shutting down that conversation and sending them to somebody else who they may not have that same relationship with. But I think it is all about how, comf- how comfortable that teacher feels and asking open questions to, yeah. to help that pupil. That's kind of the work that you're doing at Life Lessons, isn't it? It's empowering teachers to be able to have these really meaningful conversations without feeling uncomfortable about the subject matter. Yeah, exactly. And helping teachers to facilitate these conversations. Yes. That's what we're doing. I think there's so much importance around surfacing these conversations because currently they are being... um, these conversations are happening. They're just happening without a teacher with their friends or, you know, they are talking about relationships and sex. And, but actually if we're surfacing these conversations within a classroom, within a safe space, we then start to break down some of these huge safeguarding issues around peer on peer abuse, around sexual harassment. Um, And, and it is about equipping teachers to bring those conversations up and allow them to happen and actually, if they're doing that from year seven and they're having the, you know, in an age appropriate way, 
by the time they get to year 11, they're going to be so used to having these conversations. Yeah. Um, that the pupil, that it will be normalized. And actually, as a, as a school culture, and ultimately what we are, you know, working with schools to do is to change it, is to improve the culture of the yeah. school. And that sends a really clear message to the, you know, to, to the teachers, to the, and that filters down to the pupils. That, to the parents as well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, and to the parents that, you know, we talk about these things. We're yeah. a school culture that is open and we talk about these di- potentially difficult topics. Yeah. I imagine that will help improve um, student mental health and well-being as well if they feel like it's an open culture where they can share whatever is worrying them, not just necessarily about relationships and friendships, but also any mental health issues they're feeling, anything like that as well. Yeah, and they're getting a language to talk about yeah. these things. Like they have the words to use, which can then enable them to to go and report something, to go and talk about something. And like you said, it's so, so important that it's not, it isn't just going to be about relationships. It will be about mental health. It will be about other things. It just opens that door and it gives them the skills to be able to to talk about these really difficult topics. Mm. So when we talk about relationships as well, um, the videos and the training you guys do, does it ever move into bullying and online bullying, which is also happens within friendship groups and outside of them as well? Yeah, so within all of our resources, the online world is very much interwoven within every topic because it is everywhere. And it's so it isn't... You know, we're used, I guess, quite traditionally to be teaching about online safety as a couple of, of lessons separately. But actually now things are changing and it needs to be very much um, interwoven into everything that, that all yeah. the conversations around relationships. And But yes, we have lots around online safety. Um, we did a big thing around online safety week in February. Um, and I think it's all around helping young people to make informed choices about what is safe and what isn't safe and not just focusing on the negatives there are lots of positives about you know feeling more comfortable online or meeting other communities that you wouldn't necessarily have met as a um being online you know around arts or poetry or you know we we hear from a lot of young people that that that's a huge thing um but but it's really important that we are focusing and we do focus on what are those negatives and that that bullying and that culture, and where's the line with online? You know, where yeah. where does it become more bullying? Um, catfishing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, catfishing and and if you are going to, you know, what are the things that you need to put in place to keep yourself safe? Yeah. Um, and hearing from young people and their experiences of how they do it is a lot more powerful than you know us saying you need to just, you know, the things that you need to do to keep to keep safe online. And also, young people are so smart that they'll get through blocked walls. They'll get through... They're more tech-savvy than most of their parents, aren't they? Yes, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's about... It's not about saying we're not going to look at anything. We're not going to have it online lives, which we all do, and we, and we can't say that. It's about helping young people to be safe and to get the most out of a safe relationship online um, with their friends, with their family, with their with a uh, partner, etc. Yeah. Wonderful. I think that's everything I had for you today. Um, do you know the Life Lessons URL off the top of your head so we can just direct people to your resources if they need them? 
Yes, so it's Life Lessons at Life Lessons RSE. Perfect. And what we'll do is we'll pop that into the show notes as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed this discussion and I think it's a really important one. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.